Welcome to Humans of CX, a podcast powered by OzoneTel. We share the latest insights in customer experience from industry experts to help you humanize your approach, placing empathy at the center of the customer experience. I'm your host, Todd Vecca. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Humans of CX. I am uh, so excited today to be here with our guest, Shep Hyken. Shep is the Chief Amazement Officer at Shepherd Presentations. Along with that, he's a keynote speaker, New York Times bestselling author, blogger, YouTuber, and I'm sure a whole bunch of things that we would take up the whole show doing the intro. So, Shep, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm a, now a TikToker. Oh, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Great. I'm TikToking, I'm YouTubing, I'm Instagramming, I'm Facebooking, I'm LinkedIning. Yeah. So, you can find me almost everywhere. Awesome. And we will definitely put your socials in the show notes. I don't have the dance moves for TikTok, but the other ones are all good for me. So Shep, can we start with, how about you just telling our audience a little bit about your background? And today, I think we're going to talk about just some of the research and kind of the words of wisdom and stuff that you've learned over the years and as it relates to customer experience. Well, I didn't realize it, but I started learning about customer service and experience when I was 12 years old. I had my first business. It was a birthday party magic show business where I would be hired to go to little kids' birthday parties and entertain those little screaming rascals. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing that. But my mom and dad told me what I needed to do to make sure that the clients outside of hiring me and seeing a show were really happy, always showing up a little bit early so they wouldn't worry. My dad would say, at what point do you think the parents start looking at their watch, wondering whether or not you're going to show up? And I always thought as long as I'm on time, I'm supposed to perform at one. If I got there two minutes before one, I'm ready to go. My box would open up. There's all my tricks. I put them back in exactly where they need to go. So I'm ready for the next one. My dad said, no, they're going to start looking at their watch 15, 20 minutes before you're supposed to start wondering if their magician's going to show up. And I had no idea that that was a form of customer service or experience. Sending a thank you note. So basic. Following up. And saying thanks again, but saying, hey, how'd you like the show? Getting feedback, getting specific. What tricks did you like the best? Defining what tricks they didn't talk about as the ones that I should replace. Hence, process improvement or show improvement, however you want to look at it. But that's what companies do today. Every company that I go to, when I tell them that story, they all go, well, that's exactly what we do. We thank our customers. We follow up. We get feedback. We act on the feedback, hopefully. (laughs) Otherwise, it's a passive exercise. And then we make improvements, whether in the process, the products, the service, whatever it is. And so nothing really has changed. And if you look at that, that was many, many years ago, decades ago. And I believe that if we look out 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, some of what we're talking about right now is going to be completely 100% applicable. However, the way we go about it, thanks to technology, It's probably going to change, but we want the same information and we want to have the same outcomes as a result. No, that's awesome. And I know for some of my early sales meetings, people are still waiting for the clown to show up. So I kind of can relate to that story as well. That's awesome. (laughs) So to take it a step further, that it's a great origin story. How did that really turn into a passion of yours where you've obviously built a career around that? So when I got out of college, I thought, what am I going to do for a living? I was working for a business. And I remember, even though I'd worked for them in high school and college, and then when I got out of college, graduating late May, they say, June 1st, you're officially full-time doing nothing else. Sounds great. Well, September, they said, we're selling the company. So that's when I didn't have the job. And I saw a couple of motivational speakers and I said, ah, 
I can do that. So I started with birthday parties, but eventually I worked my way into doing nightclubs and comedy clubs and even corporate events. I said, I can write a speech, my entertainment background. I'll make an entertaining speech. Now, what am I going to talk about? I went to the bookstore and they didn't have like, they had a, where's your business section? They pointed me to a shelf, one shelf of books. Today, there's multiple shelves and sections of different topics. Well, I was drawn to really some great books. In Search of Excellence by Tom Peters, great book still to this very day, even though not all the companies are still considered excellent, the concepts behind them are. I was drawn to uh, Carl Albrecht and Ron Zemke's work, who in the customer service space many years ago, writing lots of books. I bought three books that day, devoured them. And I didn't even think about it till later. This is all about customer service and experience. Why did I get drawn to these? Because this is exactly what my parents were teaching me. It's exactly what I was doing when I was in retail in the gasoline convenience store business. Even though it sounds like gasoline stations, I'm the guy that made sure all of our customers wanted to come back to this gas station rather than the one across the street. And same thing when I worked in restaurants and nightclubs, I knew what was going to make the guests want to come back. So I was just drawn to this naturally. And I said, well, this is what it's all about for me. So from the very beginning, I've been talking about customer service, which eventually somebody smart called it customer experience because it was a sexier term. So I said, okay, sounds good to me. But then I realized as many people did that experience is much broader than just customer service or support. And therefore it's part of it. Let's look at a bigger picture. So even today, many of my clients don't talk to me about doing a true customer service type training. They are really looking for an experience. They're looking for sometimes a culture change. They're looking the best ways to use digital technology to enhance the experience and the support that the customer gets. And so there's many different ways that this has morphed into something bigger, but it still stays in the same lane. Yeah, no, I love that. And so even though it has stayed the same and this experience has been around for years, it's hard to kind of avoid what happened a few years ago, it was hard to predict that we were going to go through a pandemic. How have people had to adjust, uh, businesses specifically, to customer experience and, and this whole thing based on the world has changed, right? We're working from home, things are tied together. I mean, we've gone through some tough times economically. The pandemic tested the world, not just the U.S. or a particular part of the world, as economics sometimes say, things would be great here in the U.S. and bad in another part or vice versa. But the pandemic, and let me add to the pandemic, supply chain issues, okay? Let me add to that, employment issues. This is worldwide, not just where you and I are hanging out. This is worldwide. And now we add to that practically a worldwide recession that's starting to, I don't know if we're quite at the recession level, but there's some tough economic challenges. So you've got these, starting with the pandemic, you've got these four terrible, scary times type of events that are happening. And what's happened with service and experience is, and this is what I noticed, nothing new has really ever been invented as a result of all of this. But what happened was the acceleration and the adoption of different technologies, the digital experience, and the way we handle customers. There has always been delivery, but all of a sudden grocery stores and restaurants and everything else, they, even though some of them deliver, now they all have to in order to be able to stay in business. I wrote a book about a year or two before the pandemic. It was called The Convenience Revolution. The only book about a frictionless experience was by some wonderful guys who wrote a book about the customer support experience. Make it easy for them to get help if they need support. Well, I believe that frictionless experience has to go across 
all experiences related to the customer. From the time they think about doing business, you they get on a website, it's easy to manage, it's intuitive, there's contact information if you want to reach out to somebody, there's frequently asked questions, there's video tutorials, there's maybe an artificial intelligent chatbot popping up to help you and support you. These are the types of things that add to the experience and make it easy and frictionless. Respecting somebody's time when they call you. You may be so busy you can't take their call. You should invest the tiny bit of money that it takes for them to know or for the company to inform the customer, hey, your wait time is whatever it is, and you have the choice. You can wait or we'll call you back at that time or put in another time using your touchpad and we'll call you back at that time. I mean, these are options that show that you respect the customer's time. And it's all part of, uh, it's not, people think that the service experience is really interactions between humans where somebody has a problem and the company's helping them. But no, it's much bigger than that. Service experience, they cross over. And really we wanna create, I guess, a combination of these experiences where they blend together to just make the customer say one sentence, I'll be back. Absolutely. And to that point, our stat of the week is that 78% of people will just simply leave. They will go elsewhere if they have a bad customer experience and feel like it's not being resolved. What could we do at the front end? We have the Achieving Customer Amazement Study. And so actually, here's our basic stats about switching, staying, and paying. 78% go out of the way to do business with a company that has a better customer service experience. 83% trust a company or brand more if they get great service. 58% will pay more if they receive great service. 81% think great customer service increases trust when they buy something from them. So trust, and by the way, trust creates loyalty. People want to do business, and it's an old saying, with people they know, like, and trust. And the knowing and liking is easy. I can put really great graphics and marketing materials and make you like, hey, these people look like they're pretty cool. They're hip, they're fun. I want to do business with them. But then when I actually do business with them is, and I call it the echo, is the echo. What we want our customers to say about us, is it actually being said by the customer? And then is it so good that they would say, you know what, this is worth coming back and doing business with you again. And when we create that consistent and predictable experience where customers use the word always in front of something, basically this, I'll share this with you if you want. My whole concept of amazement is not about being over the top. If on a scale of one to five, you want to get a five every time, what do your customers want? If I call you, I want you to respond to me. If I need help, I want you to give me the answers. That's common sense. But when the customer says, whenever I call them, they always get back to me. Whenever I need help, they always are so knowledgeable. The word always followed by what's expected takes average to amazing simply by being consistent and predictable. You will have opportunities when a real big problem falls in your lap and you get to go above and beyond, but there's no need to surprise and delight. Forget about surprise. Just delight comes from doing what I need and what I want and what I hope for. And it happens every time. Let's talk about metrics a little bit because I get asked a lot in my business about KPIs. What metrics should businesses be using so they can see if they're doing a good job? It sounds easy just to say, well, we'll ask the customers, but there's always somebody behind the scenes using technology to get data points. What metrics do you like in this world? Sure. Great question. By the way, I said one is a customer to say, I'll be back. That's the title of my most recent book. I'll be back. How to get customers to come back again and again. One of the chapters is the most important measurement. So I believe any measurement that you can get from your customer, 
whether it be the net promoter score, NPS, CSAT, customer, however you want to call it, measuring friction, how easy you are to do business with. All those are really important, but they are history lessons. And history is real important. So don't discount what I'm about to say. You have to have this measurement in order to know that you've done a good job because it allows you to fix what needs to be fixed or continue to do what's working really, really well. Makes sense? But the other measurement that people often forget is to measure the actual behavior of the customer. So I will give you the easiest example I have for this because it really came to light and why I wrote this book was a conversation I had with the CEO of a major franchise organization. They hired me to come and speak. There were about 1,200 hair salon managers and owners. And by the way, I think this is very funny that me, the bald guy, gets called in to talk to salon owners and managers. Sorry, I spoke at a college yesterday, so I get it. It makes no sense to me either. Well, no, yeah. Speaking of college, you might have gone to a college and maybe you haven't been in a while, but when do you think the last time I went to a salon to get my hair cut? It's been like a long time. I've looked like this for a very, very long time. Anyway, I digress. So we were talking about best measurements. They want to know, was the haircut good? Was the place clean? Were you happy with who did it, et cetera, et cetera? And we started saying, well, this is a history lesson. History is great. We learn from history. What we really want to measure is behavior. So in the hair salon business, you have people with lots of hair, a little bit of hair, male, female, whatever, and they have a different cadence. You can, for lack of a better term, you can create personas, buckets of certain types of customers. This is a person that comes in for a haircut once a month. This person comes in for all kinds of treatments once every three months. So when you start to track the cadence of these customers, you can determine if they're coming back and if they break their cadence, you need to find out why. Make sense? And therefore, we want to measure behavior as much as we want to measure anything that happened yesterday. 100%. So we talk a lot about in the show about also the employee experience and this trend, whether it's a buzzword or reality about silent quitting or quiet quitting. How do unhappy employees lead to unhappy customers? It might sound obvious, but in your opinion, why is it so important to maybe build that culture before we even look at these data points? All right, here's my favorite quote. I mean, it's my line. What's happening inside the organization is felt on the outside by the customer. And, and by the way, a lot of people don't know what quiet quitters are. So let's define what that is. You've got the great resignation, which was obvious. People just resign, they leave, they go. But the quiet quitter, the quiet resigner stays at the company and just does the very bare minimum to get their paycheck and go home. And they think nothing of the organization other than they're a place to get my funding for my life. That's the person that is not going to take the extra step, that's not going to put forth the effort. By the way, the effort when we ask people to take care of customers, human interacting with humans, oftentimes it's just like, you've got to be friendly. How much effort does it take to be friendly? It takes, a it, well, you can be apathetic. That means no effort at all. But being friendly doesn't take much effort. Making an extra phone call, giving somebody an extra few minutes of your time, these are the types of things that show that you're engaged with the customer. That doesn't happen with quiet quitters. They just do what's necessary. They may roll their eyes. You may not see them doing it if it's over the phone, but they may be rolling their eyes to the customer that's asking them the same question that was asked again and again. By the way, I thought about this and I'm thinking about whether I should write an article on it or not. Years ago, I wrote the number one questions asked at a Disney theme park. And the first question is, where's the bathrooms? Okay. And if somebody asked you that again and again, day in, day out, you'd be sick and tired 
of people asking you where the bathroom is, but they train you. You've got to act like it's the first time somebody asked you. And then there's other questions. Well, last night I was coming home from the airport and I walked by the information desk and right next to the person where the little booth is, there's a sign that says Uber or Lyft or whatever, the ride shares are located here. And I said, what's the number one question that you get asked? And the person said, well, we put the answer there so we wouldn't have to answer it anymore. (laughs) And you know what? By the way, it works really well when you know what those questions are and you can give somebody an answer because the customer appreciates that you put that on there and they don't have to wait in line if there's three people ahead of them to get information, right? So I like that it did that. So I think everybody needs to know. I know we're kind of going in a rabbit hole here, but what's your most important questions, the ones that are most frequently asked, and how can you get that information to people quickly enough? Now, that's different than a complaint. What your most popular complaints, there's no such thing as something popular that's a complaint, but your most, the one you hear the most, when you hear it, I always ask, how often do you hear that? Oh, it happens every day. Why does it happen every day? Why can't you fix that? (laughs) So if it's happening all the time, Figure out ways to mitigate or eliminate it. And that might mean changing a process. It might be when you onboard a customer a certain way that you educate them the right way so that they don't have to pick up the phone and call you or don't have to reach out to you via whatever channel they want to get to. So being proactive in that way, thinking like a customer is really, really important. It sounds so basic. We recently talked to a bank and we asked them, what's the number one question? Do you know it was, are you open on... Columbus Day, President's Day, all of those kind of like gray area holidays where people don't know, they will wait on cue for three or four minutes to talk to a live person to get that answer. So that, I mean, it sounds basic, but it's really, I mean, what you're saying is so relevant. So I know you like the word amazing. So if they have to wait, I mean, you know, what's the perfect thing to do? Hey, by the way, if you're calling about our hours of operations and our holiday schedule, go to our website and right at the top, you'll see a line on the navigation bar. Just click on hours and schedule or whatever you want to call it. I mean, and it's like, you need to train. So by the way, that's important. We want to train our customers to use digital options. In our surveys, and every year we're doing uh, research and we have benchmarking type questions. Here's a really important one. We ask, have you, or are you willing to use digital options such as a website with frequently asked questions, interacting with a chat bot, watching video tutorials? 71% say yes. Although that's not their preferred choice, unless you teach them and show them that it's faster, easier, and better. I'll give you a great example of this. When is the last time you took a trip anywhere, like on a plane? Recently? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. All right. Where'd you go? Miami. Miami. And from wherever you are? Connecticut. Connecticut. All right. So you went from, what, Hartford to Miami or something like that? Yep. Great. Did you call the airline and book a reservation or did you go on their website and book the reservation? Website. The website. Do you remember the first time you did that? Yes. It wasn't probably the most comfortable thing you ever did. But once you did it, you probably felt, wow, this wasn't as hard as I thought it was. So this is what the airlines did way back when. And I believe it was Delta Airlines that was the first to have this technology that they introduced to passengers. And within a year, they all had it. But they said, if you would use the online reservation system, we're going to give you a discount. Really, all they did was they said it's $25 more if you call the reservationist. It's not really a discount, but that's an incentive. Or they would give us more miles, okay? Same thing happened when they wanted us to start checking in online. Unless we, I mean, you can still check in online if you have luggage, 
but you still have to go to the counter to get it taken care of, right? But if you don't have luggage, which most people today, I watch them travel and I look at the number of luggage that's going in the overhead, I'd say a majority of people aren't, unless you're going on long vacations, they aren't checking luggage. So now you can go straight to the gate without having to deal with anybody at the ticket counter. But if you have a problem, hopefully they're very nice people. I remember years ago, a gentleman said to me, I had a great experience on Delta Airlines. I got all the way to the gate before I had to deal with a Delta Airlines employee. Now, they weren't saying that that was a good thing because he didn't like Delta Airlines employees. What he was telling me, as we talked about it a little bit more, is that he loved that Delta created this process that is a business traveler. It makes it so easy for him. By the way, point out that there are two kinds of luggage when you're traveling, overhead luggage and lost luggage. Keep that in mind. <laughs> this, uh, this kind of ties into my next question. But true or false, customers will pay more for a better customer experience. True. And I'm going to give you the exact stat. 58% will pay more if they knew they'd receive a great customer service experience. And to take that a step further, convenience is even more important than just a good service experience. 63% say convenience is more important than friendly customer service. 80% are likely to recommend a brand because of convenience. 55% will pay more if they know they would receive the convenient experience. 68% say a convenient service experience alone will make them come back to the brand. So I think that as we're talking about price, customer experience, and convenience, which could be built into the experience, trumps price to the point of not making it irrelevant, but making it less relevant. And the experience gives you a competitive advantage that you might have over someone. And even if somebody else and your competitor has a good experience, if you can prove to that customer that they'll get a good experience from you, even if the competitor has it, that customer oftentimes, unless you give them a reason to do so, isn't going to take a chance anywhere else when they know what they're going to get. Great service, what I call customer amazement, comes from the consistent and predictable experiences. It means it happens again and again, consistently. Can you typically tell when maybe an employee is having a bad day versus, hey, I know this company just doesn't get it. Like at the core, they're just missing something. Is that easy to tell for you? The only way you'd know is if you've dealt with them and had great service and then you're dealing with somebody that doesn't give it to you. And by the way, I call this an awesome responsibility and I've actually started to refer to it as the CEO of the moment because that one employee that is creating the experience for you, good or bad, is starting to represent the entire brand. They're the front. They're the, And they actually not only represent the brand, they represent all the people. So you may have 100 people on the front line if you haven't properly trained one of them or one of them comes to work with a bad attitude and 99 of them are rock stars, but I get that one person, my perception of everything is that one person. Or if I've dealt with the company before and it's always been good, but I get this bad person, you've now just destroyed the consistency and predictability of the experience. I have to wonder what it's going to be like next time. Even if it's good, but not great. If I've been dealing with great all the time, you know how Jim Collins said, good is the enemy of great, okay? Well, I believe average, fine, mediocre, whatever you want to call it, is the enemy of amazing. So if people say, yeah, I'm satisfied, what does satisfied mean? It was fine. What does fine mean? So I've got to ask a kind of a personal question. Todd, are you married? No. Never have or, or used to be? Yeah, divorced. Okay. How long were you married? 22 years. 22 years. Wow. So in that 22-year period, forget about what happened toward the end, but any time during that 22-year period, if you notice something seemed to be amiss and you said to your spouse, hey, is everything okay? 
If the answer was everything's fine, what does that really mean? Yeah, right. That was actually worse than It's not fine, <laughs> it's right? Not fine. fine is not fine. I actually joke that fine is the F-bomb of customer experience. It's the four-letter word that starts with F that is a fake smile and insincere feedback and people who say, I'm never coming back even though I'm smiling. And it's emotionless. It's in the middle. And your goal is to be better than that. And you don't have to be much better than that. If you just do what's expected, which is fine, but you do it all the time, it moves you from fine to amazing. Awesome. Awesome. Now, you already touched on omni-channel and some other ways that companies can communicate with their customers. How much of that is generational? I'll just give you an example. My mother, for example, is a little bit older and she's going to use the phone because that's all she's done, where my kids will use Twitter because they're probably not going to call and they want more of a, a quicker response So how much of this technology kind of segments into the generations? Yeah, yeah. And first of all, I don't know if your kids are going to use Twitter. (laughs) Maybe they will, but they'll use some digital channel. One of those things. Let me give you some general like self-service tools versus the phone. We asked the exact question, do you use self-service tools? Okay, and this is where I gave you that 71% stat earlier. And if you want to break it down by generations, Gen Z basically said, they will 49% use self-service. I mean, overall, they said yes, but when you break it down, age matters. So what do we have here? Gen Z, they want to, 51% say they want to call, 49% said they'll use digital. This is kind of as a first option out. Boomers, it's 14% digital versus 49%, okay? If you look at preferred methods of communication, the phone is still number one. And when you break it down by generations, 87% of boomers, want to use the phone first versus 60% of Gen Z. You look at email, it's pretty even, but you can see that like even texting, boomers, 54%. I mean, sorry, Gen Z, 54%. By the way, you've got Gen Z at one extreme and next you've got millennials at 41%, Gen X at 33, and then 26% of boomers will text. And think about it, that's like maybe 25%. So if you focus on an older demographic as your customers, you should be available for texting, but realize it's not a preferred channel. I just wrote an article the other day on what the best channels are for you to be active on when it comes to taking care of customers. And somebody said, well, what channels are our customers on? And not only is that a great question, that's the answer. Where they are is where you need to be, unless there's an outlier, of course. But did I give you the answer that you wanted? I gave you some stats and facts. You gave the correct answer, and I think our, our viewers... Oh, the correct, thanks. The I win the prize. Answer. Tell them about the prize, Johnny. Oh, <laughs> that'll, that'll be at the end. We'll have lovely parting gifts for some <laughs> folks. Of all the books that you wrote, is there one that maybe stands out either because of the time in your life or that you just feel like was the most, you were the most passionate about? I know it's hard to pick oh one. Oh my gosh, that's like, it. who's my favorite child? I, exactly. Yeah, so I will tell you, I love, I know what the client's, love to buy. I mean, they love to buy the most recent one, but I do like the most recent one. I'll be back. It has a lot of new material, a lot of great content. The Convenience Revolution to me was a thought leadership book. That really, that really, I mean, nobody had been talking about the convenience and frictionless experience from the beginning to the end. And then it repeats itself when they come back. The Amazement Revolution, which is really, I love this for management. That's seven strategies that are, when we take our clients through these seven strategies, they go, wow, that was a New York Times bestselling book. I love that. I Gosh, Be Amazing or Go Home is really more for the internal, even though I try to focus it on customer service and experience. 
as an individual, this content works even for relationships you have in your personal life. Awesome. That is a, a very political answer. I didn't give you anything direct, but I at least gave you something that made you think I gave you the right answer. I just wanted to make you sweat a little. <laughs> the, the rest were all softballs. I just wanted you to have to like really kind of like. No, think no, no. I think you know you want to, you want you can't go wrong with anything. But I mean, it's a good starting point. There's a book that I wrote called "Amaze Every Customer Every Time." It's very tactical. I took Ace Hardware which is a company that most everybody recognizes. They're in 72 countries. There's 46, 4,700 stores. I use them as a case study throughout the book because nobody's ever written about them, but they're really good at competing against big box stores. So if you've got any kind of competition, but it's 52 very tactical ideas versus like the amazement revolution is more strategic. Some of those ideas are tactical, but the strategy and thinking. And if somebody said, well, would we give the amazement? Every one of my books is written for every employee of a business, regardless of their job. But Amaze Every Customer Every Time, that is a tactical book that everyone should read. The Convenience Revolution, man, if you've got managers and leaders, an outstanding book. So, and it's good again for everyone. And every one of my books is written so you use them, don't just read them. There's questions at the end. You can download workbooks for many of the books and use them as study guides to have group exercises with your company. So I really don't want books to be read. I want them to be used. Awesome. What advice would you give your younger self? And just for sake of the question, we'll say like 18 years old. What would you tell your 18-year-old? Oh my gosh, start using Rogaine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Nobody's ever asked me like to look back at 18 years old. I have this incredible work ethic, I believe. I got it from my parents. I got it from the jobs that I had when I was younger. So I can't say I would do things differently. The internet wasn't around when I started my business. I couldn't email people. I put in the hours. I had mentors. I would say I've been very blessed and lucky that I've had these. I haven't done everything right. Boy, I had everything I needed to make sure that I had the best opportunity for success. So looking back, I hung around the right people. But if I had to give a thoughts for others, it's like recognize you're the average of the five people you're hanging around with, okay? So I've said this to my kids. If you want to be successful, not everybody you hang around with has to be successful, but you should start looking for successful people to become friendly with and and just being around and learn how they act and think in certain situations. And you're lucky if you can develop that friendship. I had a friend of mine, Bud Dietrich. I referred to him. He's passed away. He passed away in his 90s. He was one of my great mentors. And he said to me, Shep, when you start this business of booking yourself to be a speaker, he says, a lot of people won't succeed, but here's the secret. 40 hours a week, you work at getting a speech. Not doing the speech, but getting the speech. The job isn't doing it. It's getting it. And he says, a lot of people will spend that time writing their speech, practicing their speech. You can do that on evenings and weekends. So I spent 40 hours a week at figuring out how to get business. I would write copy to put on in promotion materials. I'd write letters. I'd pick up the phone and call. LinkedIn today is like the phone. You can scale. Instead of making 25 calls a day, you can try to connect with 100 people and figure out who's interested in you and start to build relationships that eventually you get on the call. When you finally do have a call, whether it be Zoom or actually an old style telephone call, these people already know who you are. Such an advantage to the way it was when I was a kid and or young just starting out. So my 18-year-old self, I don't know what I would do differently. Honestly, I've been just a driver and a hard worker all my life. Awesome. Well, speaking of driver... Our next question is, you're driving the CX party bus. Who do you want to pick up to be on that bus? 
Who else in the CX world do you want to be on there? Wow. Wow. Well, I'm going to tell you, I want, I want Tom Peters, Horst Schultz, Seth Godin, but Tom Peters, many. So people who don't know who Tom Peters is probably knows who Seth Godin is. (laughs) And Horst is the first president of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. I'd love to get Jeff Bezos on that bus. Talk to him. And this guy was brilliant. I just interviewed uh, uh, Bill Price. Bill Price was the first senior VP of customer service for Amazon. And I asked him questions like, was there really an empty seat at the table when you guys had meetings? He goes, oh, absolutely. I was the first meeting that we did that. I mean, who thinks like that? That's brilliant. (laughs) Okay. Steve Jobs, if he was still alive, would be very interesting because he understands not so much customer service. He understands experience better than probably anybody ever did. So Richard Branson would be a great one. So I'm getting a really a heck of a party together, aren't I? I would be humbled to just be near that bus. That sounds amazing. You're welcome to jump on that bus too. Thank you so much. How's that? <laughs> I really appreciate that. So we're coming close on time. We got to pay the sponsors and all that good stuff. But uh, we always like to end with maybe a minute or, or however you however long you want it to be on. What you're working on currently? What's your schedule look like? And what do you want the folks that are listening or watching to know that Chef Hyken is doing? I'm always doing research, and I'm very lucky. My research is sponsored by Amazon. And if you want to go to hiking.com, you download that research at no charge. And there's all kinds of customer insights on there. It's a gen pop study, so it is consumer-based. But recognize, even if you're B2B, regardless of the type of business you're in, this is really important for you to understand. Maybe the numbers might be a little different, but the concepts are. So we're already starting to work on next year's research, coming up with, do we want to say with some of the same benchmark questions, look for something new? So that's exciting. Gosh, what else? Our on-demand training, which is customer service-based training, very, very popular, more and more popular as I've been doing now for about six, seven years phenomenal program and a platform that we use is second to none. It's highly sophisticated. It's great for companies as well as individuals. So I'm getting excited about that. Chef, that was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I know you have a busy schedule. We really appreciate having you. All the best. We will uh, put all of the socials, all of the stuff in the show notes. And again, Chef, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Look forward to coming back. Like my book, I'll be back. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Humans of CX, a podcast brought to you by OzoneTel. If you enjoyed today's show, visit OzoneTel.com to learn more about how our robust omni-channel communications platform makes it the industry leader within the customer experience space. You can find Humans of CX on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as other platforms that are featuring podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you so much for listening.